As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello listener, Uh, it's me Matt here. So what you're about to hear is the podcast that we recorded as the first Champions League round of 16 draw was being made. Of course you'll know by now they had to redraw it, didn't matter too much though, Chelsea got Lille again. Uh, You will hear some references to ties that are not going to be taking place, so for the avoidance of doubts the confirmed Champions League round of 16 draw for the ties taking place at the start of 2022 is as follows. Red Bull Salzburg versus Bayern Munich, Sporting Lisbon versus Manchester City, Benfica versus Ajax, Atletico Madrid versus Manchester United, Villarreal versus Juventus, Inter Milan taking on Liverpool, it's Paris Saint-Germain, Real Madrid, and Chelsea will definitely play Lille. Right. Back to your regularly scheduled podcasting. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea from The Athletic. On this episode, spot on Jorginho as Blues leave it late against Leeds. We react live to the Champions League draw, break out the welcome back banners as Rafa Benitez returns to the bridge. The women suffer a damaging defeat on the road and the Youth Cup kicks off for Chelsea. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobble. Here we are again then, listener. Glad you could join us for the first instalment of this week's double dose of Chelsea chat. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by The Athletic's Chelsea expert, Simon Johnson. Guten Tag. (laughs) <laughs> thought I, I thought I'd start practicing ahead of February. We are going to be reacting live to the Champions League draw as it happens. And Simon, who is normally known as the positivity of the podcast, thinks that Chelsea <laughs> are destined to get a Bayern Munich. Uh, right, so Simon's the Athletics Chelsea expert. Alongside him, an expert who used to be athletic. It's Sam Parkin. Hi, Sam. <laughs> Bonjour, Matt. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's hope so. Um, we're looking for Lil. <laughs> Uh, we'll let you know. I mean, it's a weird thing to do on a podcast, which is a pre-recorded thing. But, you know, we like to change it up a little bit. Uh, let's have a prediction. OK, so that is the prediction, effectively. Simon's saying Bayern Munich, presumably first leg at home, just for a double dose of misery. <laughs> yeah. Sam, you're optimistic it's going to be Lille. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going for uh, for Lille. Yeah, nice, nice uh, draw for once. 
All right, Lucy's going to tell us who Chelsea actually get as it happens. But first, let's get to Saturday, which saw Chelsea and Leeds produce quite the ding-dong. Well, that was risky. Can you believe it? Mateus Click with the challenge. And an additional time. Chelsea have another penalty. Jorginho may just have the limit. The knockout blow. Stamford Bridge rolls its approval. This is why we are addicted to the drama of the Premier League. Maybe we needed it this way to experience it again, like that we can hang in, that we can overcome tough moments. And um, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy with the result, of course. And But much more, I'm happy with the way we played. Chelsea 3, Leeds United 2 then. A bonkers, brutal and at times beautiful game of football. Finally going the way of the good guys, thanks to Jorginho's stoppage time penalty. And let's start at the end. Simon, you and I were at the bridge. Is there a better way to win a game against a rival than that? Oh, it was perfect. Uh, just, just the whole game's... I, I did a, I did an explainer about a year ago about the Chelsea-Leeds rivalry because I think I, I get the impression there's a lot of... Not a lot of fans, but obviously there are fans, of course, who, who've supported Chelsea in the last 10, 20 years that perhaps didn't really understand why there was any rivalry with Leeds given they've basically been out of the Premier League and Chelsea have been winning trophy after trophy. So why would there be this needle? Well, you know, it dates back to the 60s. And it doesn't matter how good the teams are, the baton gets passed down. And the players... I mean, you only saw it with, with the Chelsea players on Saturday. You know, Mason Mount and Azpilicueta giving it large to Leeds fans. But yeah, in answering your question, when Gerhard scored the equaliser, I was going, oh no, my Christmas is going to be totally ruined. Uh, I'm going to be on crisis patrol for the second Christmas in a row. <laughs> so my 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 reaction when, when the goal was scored was not just, oh, this is great entertainment. It was also one of relief that that I might actually have uh, the editor leaving me alone on, on terms of crisis calls um, for a few more days. But it was fantastic. And then, of course, you had the, the altercation after the whistle went and, and Rudiger doing what Rudiger does and getting right in amongst it. It was proper Chelsea Leeds rivalry and uh, I can't wait for the match at Ellen Road already. Yeah, absolutely shocked to see Tony Rudiger get involved in that uh, <laughs> incident at full time. Uh, brilliant game and, and it, again, kind of hammered home how much football means when supporters are there to watch it and you know who knows how long we're going to have that, that privilege for but definitely worth uh, cherishing just because of that. Sam, I, I wanted a word from you on on how Jorginho must have felt with that second penalty. You know, the context of it, obviously, it's it's stoppage time. It's a big game. Chelsea have been in poor form for the last couple of weeks, so they needed to win the match. But the fact that he'd already taken and scored one penalty, that must add a, a different layer of pressure because you're thinking, well, I can't really put it the same place because the goalie will probably anticipate that. Yeah, I think I think it's really tricky when you take two, two in a game. Um Obviously, he's so so unique in the way he does it. I don't know if he'd wait until Melier makes his move to the to the right hand side for that second one, and then he changes, or if he, he's already made his mind up. But I mean, the first one, the keeper's not going to get there, even if he goes the right way, and and probably the same with the second as well. But I mean, his record for Chelsea is phenomenal. Um, he missed one against Arsenal, if I, if memory serves me right. But he's six from six this season. It's just the the two that he fluffed for. 
his national team. So he's in he's in fine fettle for for the club. But yeah, it took enormous heart, obviously, to take the one against Manchester United recently after the mistake, and he stepped up again in the last couple of games. So yeah, we're, we're very lucky to ha- to have him. And um, listen, I'd, I'd I'd be lying if I said that I thought it was a little bit soft. The second, um, there's been a lot of talk about it, you know, over the over the weekend. It's no doubt that it's a foul, but um, obviously Rudiger, I think, plays his part in going down a little bit early uh, for, for that one, a little bit too flamboyantly, um, it, for my liking. If I was being brutally honest, but by the letter of the law, it's probably the right decision again. Simon, the thing that struck me about it, I mean, A, that that one was soft. I think the first one we'll all agree, nailed on penalty, no doubt about that. Same for uh, Marcus Alonso's challenge to, to concede the one. That was Dan James, wasn't it, who he fouled? But the the second Chelsea penalty, why is Matthews Click thinking that he's got to tackle from behind a central defender not facing goal on the edge of the penalty area? That, that struck me as an incredibly ridiculous decision for him to make. Panic is, is the only... Only explanation I can think of. Yeah, you're totally right, Matt. It was, it was, it was bonkers. It, it, it I, whilst I agree with Sam in terms of, yeah, it was on the soft side, but it was a foul. You know, he kicked through his leg, and and of course Rudiger's going to do what any pro player is going to do in that situation, make the meal of it go down. Um, and he he gave Chris Kavanaugh, you know, a decision to make, which he didn't really need to. He, all he had to do was stand his ground. What was Rudiger going to do realistically? You know, control it one foot and whip it into the top corner. I mean, <laughs> actually, part of me wouldn't be surprised because <laughs> he's capable of doing some ridiculous things. But I, I haven't seen it, you know, yet. But it was such a such a welcome gift, early Christmas present for Thomas Tuchel. Um, he said that Chelsea played well. I don't think they did. I, I think they they struggled for long periods. Very unconvincing at the back again. Um, and Leeds were... You, you could see... When it was 2-1, you, you, you knew the game wasn't won. It, it feels like a common, common thing of late that when Chelsea are a goal up, you're going, they need another one to kill this game off. Um, it was very much elements of West Ham. Uh, about the Leeds game. I mean, also we saw Leeds being Leeds again. Um, I haven't seen Leeds play that well for quite a while and and probably shouldn't be saying this on the Chelsea podcast. Um, But credit to them, you know, given they were without Calvin Phillips and of course Bamford was out again and I think that was a lucky thing for Chelsea that Bamford injured himself in the celebration last week because if Bamford had been leading the line on Saturday that, that it may have been a different story but yeah it was it was a moment of madness from click fair play to Jorginho for keeping his call for a second occasion and just a massive massive three points for Chelsea where are you categorizing this win Sam is it good teams win when they don't play that well or is it goodness me they got lucky (laughs) probably not as fortunate as the Watford victory um I would say because Leeds didn't have loads on on Chelsea's goal. I think Chelsea still had the better chances. I thought for 15 minutes, it was as good a start without getting a goal as Chelsea had had this season. Leeds barely got into Chelsea's half. And I think it turned on around the 15 minute mark, probably because Chelsea hadn't got that goal and Leeds grew in confidence. But from then on, they, they were very good in, in the way they try and execute their their intensity, their pressure. I spent an afternoon with Adam Forshaw doing something on TV about a year ago and, Sorry, 
Can I just quickly interrupt saying Real Madrid are out of the hat? Just, just you know, this is uh, <laughs> a possible, a possible. How's your Spanish? Hola, all that. <laughs> the Ancelotti derby. Real Madrid and Adam Forshaw in the same sentence, probably the first time. Right, they've got Benfica. Uh, sorry, Sam, what was Adam Forshaw saying? Well, just the, the way that Leeds play. I mean, I'm not going to suggest that it's you know really simplistic and they don't do anything on tactics, but it, it is that man-for-man mentality. Uh, you saw Tyler Roberts doing a great job on Jorginho, Shackleton uh, on Alonso and uh, and Harrison following Reese James around, which I think threw a few people, obviously, in the central midfield for large portions, but it, you know, that's the way they go about it. And I thought congesting certain areas of the pitch, highlighting Alonso's frailties, maybe Jorginho as well, meant it's such a difficult afternoon for Chelsea considering the last few games and the pressure that's been building on the players. Sorry to interrupt you this, Sam. Right. I actually, I actually missed the Benfica being pulled out first. When I saw Real Madrid, I just went, but of course, yes. Well, that's one, one Chelsea missed to the down to three options. Right, is it going to be Bayern, is it going to be Lille or is it going to be uh, the other team who I can't remember? We will find out momentarily uh, about that. Oh, it's tense, it's so, so tense. Uh, Listen, while we wait for that, Tony Rudiger, Simon, you you mentioned him there. He's the subject of your post-match piece. You, You quite rightly argue that Chelsea need to do all they can to keep a hold of him because he gave us a 90 minute illustration of why he's so important at both ends of the pitch. Yeah, he's just... I just don't see what Chelsea aren't seeing that everyone else is pretty much seeing, including other clubs. <laughs> it's just, and and there's been a huge sort of always oh, wanting four hundred grand a week. Well, that's not my understanding of the situation. And if you're if you're one of those clubs that are making a contract offer for Rudiger at the moment, he's currently on ninety thousand pounds a week. So you're not going to be sort of thinking right. Let we need to more than quadruple his wages to get him. Um, it doesn't make any sense, um, but I just thought he was he was fantastic on Saturday. Questionable, perhaps for the set for the second goal. Um, he, he did come charging out, um, trying to do everything, um, and he ended up in midfield and then having to dash back a bit. But I, I just thought I just thought Rudiger sums up what Chelsea need. He's very good at the back, obviously. He makes these charging runs, he, but he's also this this nasty so-and-so, that every decent side needs, that one that's going to get stuck into altercations and stick up for teammates, that one that might actually give a rollicking to a teammate, as as Kepa found out uh, back in April. You need these kind of characters. And I, I just think Chelsea need to get back round the table. They haven't really been speaking to him since August. And I think it's a no-brainer. Atletico Madrid v Bayern Munich. Has just come oh. out of the hat as we speak. Sam, uh, Sam is on it. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, the German phrase book back in the drawer. <laughs> Villarreal against Manchester City. I was going to say that's an easy draw for Manchester City, but hey, clubs from Manchester haven't got on very well with Villarreal um, of late. While we wait then for, for Chelsea's draw, Sam, Tony Rudiger, is he the most important of the four out of contract defenders that Chelsea have got to, to try and tie up again? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, I mean, think of the age of um, two of them and, and I suppose the current form of Christensen. I'm a big admirer of his, but his consistency levels have, have dropped recently. I think he's, there's been a couple of poor games. Um, was it away at Juventus early part of the season? I thought he was given a bit of a run around by Chiesa and obviously his form's dipped 
last few weeks. That that second goal that um, Simon's talking about, I think yeah, Rudiger is liable to do things like that. But but also, I think the the style that Leeds play with and the atmosphere on Saturday at Stamford Bridge probably adds to that as well. You know, Rudiger having a little bit of a rush of the blood and coming out of his position to go and be too aggressive in the, the middle of the pitch. So it was a minor error, but oh, he, he made up for it, didn't he, by a few of those... Um, those are uh, real powerful runs down the left-hand side. Sam, as a as, as an ex-pro, sorry, now my phone's going off. It's UEFA. <laughs> <laughs> They're giving me a tip off of who Chelsea getting in the hat. Can you do the draw for the quarterfinals? <laughs> <laughs> um, as an ex-pro, how how much of a lift? Can it bring, or I'm trying to think how to phrase this question, to have a player like that, that when Kai Havertz gets involved in that altercation, to have a player that goes steaming in and protects you and sort of sends out a message that, that you're not going to get bullied. And, and can you think of anyone from your time, I'm sure there's a few, that did that role? I think there's there's one or two in every team, to be honest. Certainly one in every team, yeah. And um, I think in the position I played... When I was younger, I quite liked having a bit of a minder on the pitch. Um, I, that's probably not something that's in the modern game too often, but yeah, probably nobody that the listeners would would remember. But no, I think it's just his general demeanour is why the Chelsea fans have taken to him because he's not the most gifted footballer. I think he's improved in that regard and he certainly cut out more mistakes that I think littered his game in the early part of his Chelsea career. But yeah, I think his, his general attitude and his aggression is what has made him a cult hero. And when he you know, keep on doing things like he did on Saturday, that's only going to only going to improve. Speaking of things the listener probably won't remember, Mystic Meg, that's not going to call you for the rest of the pod, Sam, because Chelsea have drawn Lille in the round of 16 <laughs> of the Champions League. God bless Ooh. that Zenit player whose name I can't remember who thundered that one in from 25 <laughs> yards in stoppage time. Last week, uh, I mean, play this back when when Chelsea get dumped out. But Simon, that is the draw that we were hoping for. There, there is no doubt about it because the, the other team that I can remember were Ajax, who've been electric in the competition this season. Well, I mean, Thomas, uh, I was talking about Christmas presents, wasn't I? <laughs> Tuchel's had a second one in a space of what forty eight hours. Um, he, you know, one in four chance because I we, we didn't mention Ajax. Who, who'd gone? Who'd won every single game in the group stage? I'm sure Hakim Ziyech might have been uh, watching the draw this morning, thinking, "Oh, you know, maybe I'll go back to my old club." But no, that is that is that uh, Lille, Lille did did very good in the group stage. But come on, you know, Chelsea have got a golden opportunity here to get in the in the last eight. Uh, of course faced them in the group stage in the in the Frank Lampard season, first season. Um won the title, which was a, one of the fantastic stories of of recent football. Beat PSG to the league title last season. But no, it's uh it's a golden opportunity for Chelsea to get to the last eight and yeah, Tuchel must be I, I think I can hear champagne and uh, sort of champagne glasses clinking um from Cobham. But no doubt no doubt when he when he's asked about it, he'll do the oh you know Lilla great side da 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 da. But deep down, he'll be absolutely delighted. Be able to go on the train for eighteen quid as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Eurostar, here we come. And also, it's the Eden Hazard derby oh, yeah. part two. I hasten to add. And the Joe Cole derby as well. Oh uh, yeah, very good point. Yeah. 
Uh, right, so Lille, for context, currently 11th in Liga, and obviously it's a long way off those ties. The first legs are played in February, but a good draw for Chelsea nonetheless. There you go, we've combined Leeds and the Champions League all in one go. Uh, that victory on Saturday sets up Thursday's game against Everton nicely. We'll look ahead to that after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Thursday nights are for B-rate European competitions, not the Premier League. We'll try telling that to Jeff Bezos. Uh, Chelsea primed to welcome Everton to Stamford Bridge, having enjoyed two days off following the win against Leeds. Um, Simon, it's very early for us to be talking team news, but I did see a report that Trevor Chalobah is back in training or close there too. Presumably too early for him to return, but that is a, a big boost. And presumably Kovacic won't be far off now either. Uh, in terms of report, well, one of the reports was mine. I, I uh, get my flag out and start waving it here in my room. Um, yeah, he, he's targeting, uh, I was told last week that he's targeting the Everton game. I did I did put the caveat in there that due to it being a hamstring and the fixtures coming up, you know, you, can, you wouldn't be surprised if Tuchel was a little bit cautious. Um, so I'd be very surprised if he starts. But just the fact that he's already close to a comeback, because I was really worried when a few days after the Watford game, Tuchel gave an up. Well, it wasn't really an update in his presser, but he said we're waiting on more scans to see how serious it is. And he's sort of thinking, okay, they, they still don't have a general idea that that. And the way he pulled up at Vicarage Road, it, it you thought, oh, this could be a bad tear. And he could be out for ages, but then I, I spoke to someone last week, and I went, "No, no, he's um, he's targeting Everton." I just thought, well, there's the third Christmas present. There you go. It's a common theme. I'm writing the headline for you, Lucy. Um, and and he he is he, he's proven already this season to be a very very valuable squad member. And when you think there's Wolves Sunday, Brentford on the 22nd, then Aston Villa 26th. Then I think it's Brighton on the 29th. Anyone that comes back from an injury right now is huge. As for Kovacic, of course, he had 10 days isolation, I think. So, no, I'd, he won't be around for Everton because he won't be match fit. But again, hopefully with this run of games, a um, bit more training under him, he, he might be able to feature at some point soon. Sam, the other big selection dilemma, I guess, is up front. I thought Kai Havertz was excellent against Leeds on Saturday in terms of bringing other people into play and holding the ball up. Do you go with him again or, or do you say, as it's Lukaku against his old club and he started against Zenit last week, that, that he comes in here? Um, yeah, I probably would change it with the, the amount of games coming. Um, 
I may be answering this differently had he taken one of those chances in the first half, Kai Havertz. And I agree with you. I think he he does use his body. He scrapped, didn't he, in the first half and he, he used his body well. Um, but he passed up that great opportunity when Jorginho put him in and then he had the subsequent opportunity, I think, straight from the corner where he just took a little, a fraction too long. So I think if one of those goes in, I always like to stick with them. That's why I was pleased that Werner, you know, played in consecutive games, although he wasn't obviously as threatening. But yeah, I think there's an argument to put Lukaku in. It's all down to how he's feeling and and how they um, feel that he is physically. But yeah, I mean, considering he had that great time at Everton, it would, would seem like a good game to put him in. But there's going to be so many changes. I mean, seven changes for the Leeds game. And um, you know, there's still a number of injuries. So yeah, he has to, has to utilise a squad. But you know, hopefully I'll have an opportunity to stumble across a winning formula, which maybe can... And be the team that he goes with for the bigger, the bigger, you know, sterner tests. Uh, Simon, you're the serious journalist in this group, so you get <laughs> you get the serious question. Who least wanted Rafa Benitez as their manager? Chelsea fans or Everton fans? <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! Uh, it's like a coin toss for the game, isn't it? Um, I mean, I, I just never forget when Benitez was appointed. I mean, it was just. Toxic. It was toxic. Yeah, toxic. It was when when he was when he came out on when he was introduced. I mean, it was painful. Was it Man City? Yes, Chelsea decided to <laughs> to sort of do the and here's the new manager. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> I mean, it was just it it surprised me that there were a section of the fan base that by the end, in fairness to them thought he did a good job I didn't think he did a good job I thought the players did a good job I thought Rafa Benitez was in it for himself which was summed up perfectly I'll never forget it Chelsea had a league game on the Saturday against Southampton and an FA Cup replay against Manchester United on the Monday Chelsea's priority was top four he fielded a weakened Chelsea side against Southampton and brought all the big guns back for Man United. And yes, of course, Chelsea want to win trophies, but it was all about top four. Um, and Chelsea lost against Southampton and, and beat Man United. Um, yes, some might disagree with what I'm saying, but at the time, I couldn't believe he made that kind of call. And it was Frank Lampard that really bailed him out. Uh, Lampard had a really, really strong end to the season. Um, I'll never forget being at Villa Park and Chelsea getting absolutely bullied by Christian Benteke. Um, this was pre-knee injury when Benteke was was an absolute dynamite of a centre-forward. Chelsea were down to 10 men. It was looking like another costly defeat. Fortunately, Benteke got himself sent off. But it was the game where Frank Lampard obviously scored a couple of goals, which also made him Chelsea's highest ever goal scorer. But Lampard really sort of made the difference in terms of turning that season around for me, not Rafa Benitez. So in answer to your question, Matt, I'm feeling like this is a very slanted <laughs> I think Evertonians, though, they they there was some shocking... Whether you, whether you sort of like him or not, there was some shocking abuse that he got before he even took over, threats and so on. Um, that is never, never acceptable. Um, so I'd probably actually lean towards Everton. But I don't think anyone should underestimate how sort of 
disgusted people were when Benitez was hired at Chelsea and how delighted they were when he left. Still got his picture up on the corridor in Cobham where they have all the photos of the managers with their trophies. There's him holding the Europa League, got Chelsea up to third in the Premier League that season as well, he said, playing devil's advocate. I, I hasten to add, by the way, that winning the Europa League, and again, I'm opening myself up for some major stick here because I'm bringing Sarri into this equation too. <laughs> when Chelsea won the Europa League, who did they play under Benitez? It was it was it was like the dross. Well, not the UEFA Conference League is now the dross Europe, <laughs> but the 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 games that Chelsea played. You got Ruben Kazan. You got um, I'm trying to think. I think Sparta Prague was it Sparta or Slavia? I always get them confused. Um, I think Benfica, who Chelsea had sort of beat quite comfortably the year before in the Champions League knockout stages, uh, despite a bit of lot, late drama at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, that was that was the toughest game, and and again Benfica, you're talking sort of ball three, ball four in in a Champions League group stage. So, yeah, without wishing to completely rain on Benitez's rain, here, I, I think that ship has sailed. To be honest, Simon, I was very very <laughs> underwhelmed with the job he did. Put it that way. Um, Ends. Sa- <laughs> Sam, you Michael. played for so many managers. I'm sure you played for one who the fans didn't take to. What, what does that do for the players? I guess if you're not having the manager either, that just adds another string to your bow. But you've got to kind of put that behind you and just focus on your job. You're quite pleased that it's not you. That's getting the stick, I would say, <laughs> would be the first thing. Um, but it probably makes for, yeah, it probably makes for a bit of a difficult atmosphere to play in front of, I would say, because they'd be quick to turn. You know, quick to to turn on the manager and 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 the atmosphere will be poor. Yeah. So Saturday will be, sorry Thursday will be interesting because he'll probably be getting it from both barrels from both sets of supporters. I would imagine. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, hearing Simon speak about it there, you know, when you think about the animosity that was created during those those years between Liverpool and Chelsea, it even now seems like a strange appointment. And you know, him going into Everton. Listen, I don't know Everton in terms of the. The inside of the club because I've never been there, but I mean it's a, a set of supporters who I think like attacking football really. Um, at home, they would like to play on the front foot and put teams under pressure. So Rafa Benitez is very much, I think, a counter-attacking manager. You know, not when he's maybe had the Liverpool job, but, but certainly at Newcastle needs must. And Everton at the moment, that's how they're going about it, and they're not very good defensively. So it's a complete disaster. As a, as a recipe, they're, they're not keeping clean sheets. They're not very good uh, going forward. So it's it's a good time for Chelsea to be playing them without Dominic Calvert-Lewin as well, who um, has been a, a bit of a thorn in Chelsea's side before. You're going to really regret having asked me this question now, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what did Rafa Benitez do to you? That, that's, that's my next question. Here's part two of my rant, okay? So... Are you talking about facts, if it's a rant about Facts, yeah, 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 here's my bit of... Look, <laughs> <right>. it... <laughs> I just held up a bit of paper to the Zoom camera uh, listeners. Um, you're talking, when he took over, Chelsea was second in the league. Okay. So, it's not, so him finishing third was not a remarkable achievement. Uh they lost to at home to QPR for the first time in about 30, 40 years. They were beaten by Swansea in the League Cup semi-final. 
They stunk the place out in the FIFA Club World Cup final against Corinthians. I've already ranted about the sound at Man United. Do you know what I'm really bitter about? Is he is he invited the journalists to a uh, briefing, uh, like a behind closed doors insight into how he how he does a training session? And it was on my birthday. Now we're getting to the real point. <laughs> I'd booked the day off, but of course I had to go. And uh, I'll never forget, we were all in a, all us journos, us lucky select group that we were meant to feel like really honoured to get this chance to see Rafa Benitez, wearing shorts, of course. Uh, <laughs> and the session started, we were all standing, standing to the side going, cool, what's this going to be about? And, you know, players didn't do anything that extraordinary. And then he comes over after about 10, 15 minutes, he goes, what did you, what did you notice? And it was like, it was like we were school kids on a trip and, and we sort of mumbled, sort of, oh, I don't know, seemed to be people just... And he basically just corrected us and just went, well, I'm doing this, this, this and this and this. And while some will say, oh, that was brilliant insight, it didn't come across that way. It came across as a bit of a a, a very kind of, I'm going to make myself look very good and make you all look quite small. Um so that's where it real the real beef comes from my point of view. And the whole the whole occasion just seemed about aren't I wonderful? And please help get me another job and write nice things about me. Uh, for clarity, listener, Simon is not a fan of Rafael. <laughs> Uh, back to the game. Lucy's pointed out that it's going to be Ooh. Richarlison versus Rudiger, which um, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, Chelsea have had some problems with Everton in recent years, but not on the bridge. The Toffees haven't won a Premier League game there since 1994. Simon, I know you can tell me you got the winner in that game because it's something that gets trotted out every time Chelsea host Everton. Is this Thursday already? <laughs> um, actually, so really, who did get the winner in '94? Archetypal 90s centre forward. Was it Paul Rideout? Paul Rideout is absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, Elsewhere midweek, Man City, this is all subject to COVID, of course, but Man City hosts Leeds on Tuesday. Liverpool are at home to Newcastle. So I think all three teams will be expecting to win just as they did on Saturday. And Chelsea got to try and keep pace. We'll go over that game on Friday. That's right. We'll be doing the pod on Friday this week so we can reflect on the Everton match. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team went down to a shot 1-0 defeat at Reading on Saturday. Danielle Rose got the only goal of the game after four minutes. Chelsea had 34 shots at goal, but couldn't make the breakthrough. Um, Sam, it's obviously been a, a really packed schedule for them with the FA Cup final, then the Champions League game, all that coming off the back of an international break. So Emma Hayes mixed up her team and we've been talking about strength in depth over the last few weeks. But but the players who came in were pretty poor here. Drew Spence wading through treacle for the goal. And Bethany England again firing blanks. I just wonder how tough it is when you've been out the team as a centre forward and then you put back in because the only metric you're going to be judged on in terms of your performance is his goals isn't it and, and she didn't get one so she'll be back out again for the next game you think yeah goals probably multiple goals as well to stay in the side and the other the other ingredient is um that the fitness levels I always used to find if you're not playing regularly for your club I know she's played re- recently for England but if you're not playing regular football you're not going to be at it completely it takes two or three games uh, you know in a, in a row for you to to feel fresh to feel able to go out there and and give it full throttle from the first whistle. So she's probably going out there and, you know, managing herself through games as well because she won't be at the, the highest of fitness levels. But, yeah, I always felt that you were on a little bit of a hide into nothing because um, you think even if you come in and, and play well and score one, the manager's going to revert to her, her favourite front three for the subsequent game anyway. So, yeah, really tough. And and obviously that I think that amount of games is just really... Uh, her Emma Hayes and her side in the last few weeks, the, the yeah, it's probably taken quite a bit out of them. Arsenal thump Leicester on Sunday night. It means they're four points clear of Chelsea now. What a weird week for them. Lost the FA Cup final, were hammered by Barcelona and, and finish it four points clear at the top of the table. Uh, there we go. There's no let up for the girls. They go to Germany to face their old nemesis Wolfsburg on Thursday. Uh, that's the final Champions League group game. Here are the permutations lifted directly from the UEFA website. Chelsea will go through and be confirmed in first place if they avoid defeat. They finish second if they lose and Juventus don't win. If Chelsea lose and Juventus win, the final ranking of the three teams would depend on the outcome of the Wolfsburg-Chelsea match. Uh, in terms of the academy size, the under-18s kicked off their FA Youth Cup campaign on Sunday against Leighton Orient. Sam, you witnessed it live. Uh, the Blues dispatched Orient pretty comfortably 4-1. Uh, who stood out? Who are some names that we should be looking to uh, see more of over the next couple of years? Oh, um, the best player was Silco Thomas, who played wide on the right-hand side. Um, I think he did score in his PL2 debut. Uh, I seem to recall from last year, but not a regular at that level. So he was really good. I'm quite reluctant to have a go at the opposition because there's obviously a, a huge gulf, but there was a, a wide open space for Silco Thomas to uh, stride into throughout the first half on the right-hand side. And he made one, scored one, cutting in field and, and unleashing a shot with his left foot. So he was great. And um, the centre-halves, Brody Hughes and Gilchrist have been excellent throughout the season. They're regulars in the, in the PL2. And I thought it was really interesting going into the game. It's the first time I think I've seen Soonsup Bell uh, and Mothersill playing in attack together. It's normally one or the other in in the different levels. So they played with Castledine as well. So that was a, a really potent trio. Uh, Mothersill and Soonsup Bell both got goals. He was phenomenal last year. I'm sure the Chelsea fans have heard that name, Soonsup Bell. And his form's fallen off a cliff a little bit this year in terms of his goal scoring. So he's got... I think two in his last two, um, scored a great goal and um, they were a real threat as well. So loads of positives. It wasn't probably as convincing as some of those third round tires in the last few years when we had, I think, sevens and eights on occasions. But 
yeah, comfortable and um, there'll be tougher tests ahead. But yeah, some really good performers in there. But yeah, Silco Thomas was my MOM. Uh, Simon, you wrote about Jude Soonsup Bell, didn't you, for for the Athletic uh, a few months back? He's he's a Chelsea boy through and through. Yeah, it was it was about this time last year. Um, as Sam rightly points out, he was he in the sense that he was phenomenal last season, um, scoring goals throughout the throughout the levels. I think he picked up a, a few injuries, uh, which didn't help. But um, but yeah, I did a I did a big low down uh, low down piece on on this sort of rising youngster that. You know, Chelsea fans obviously getting a bit greedy, you know, this sort of conveyor belt of academy players. Who's the next one? Who's the next one? Well, he has potential. Um, you, you would argue the last sort of six months or whatever has, has not gone as he would have hoped, but you, you saw with the way he's taken his last couple of goals that the talent he possesses with, with the ball at his feet, he's, he can be a very prolific striker. Clearly needs to go out on loan first, though, before we can get too excited about him. Uh, it's about time that Chelsea won the FA Youth Cup again. It's been three long years since they last did. They've won it nine times. United, the record holders, with ten. Chelsea will face Watford in round four of that competition early on next year. Uh, that'll just about do it for today. Simon, we mentioned the, the Tony Rudiger piece. I guess, what, you're going to be writing something about Lille or something else this week? I'm tempted to write a piece about Rafa. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a cathartic... A bit of therapy. Thought of another thing, by the way. Yes. <laughs> and and this is this is. I think that was John Terry on the phone earlier. Uh, it, it, he, uh, he 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 basically tried to sideline John Terry. Don't forget. He oh, totally. Said, yeah. You, you can't you can't play two games a week anymore, which was absolutely bonkers because John Terry ended up playing within a couple of years every game of the uh, Mourinho's third title campaign, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But anyway, I know we have to wrap up before midnight. So uh, the the other piece <laughs> I'm going to I'm writing about uh, this instant um, before before we start recording, and I'll finish after. It's just a piece about Conor Gallagher, um, and basically asking the question: Chelsea can recall him, but should they? Matt, I'll do your job for you because I'm going to watch Palace on on Wednesday night. So um, I'll have a look at Conor Gallagher and see. If he should be in the squad next year. Before that game, would you would you be recording him? Obviously, he was brilliant on Sunday against um, against Everton. But where does he play in this Chelsea team? Is he is he a central midfielder or is he one of the front three? I can't quite work that out. Oh, I'd still say he's a central midfielder. We had this conversation, didn't we? Um, I think a few a few weeks ago. But yeah, I think he play, he played with one of the sixes. Um, but yeah, he can. I think on Saturday it was it was apparent to me very early on that Loftus Cheek was a good ten yards, fifteen yards in advance of Jorginho the majority of the time. So I don't see any big differences. Ruben's probably a bit better travelling with the ball, but um, there's no reason why Conor Gallagher couldn't adapt his game to playing there. I, I wouldn't think. I don't. I don't know whether they'll call him back, but irrelevant of the numbers they've got in midfield next season, um, injuries, whatever, he should be part of the squad. I think he deserves that, given how well he's going. Absolutely. Um, other Chelsea content on The Athletic now. Remember, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up 
if you aren't already a subscriber, I enjoyed Simon and Dom's piece on the rapid rise of Anthony Barry, who is somebody who we've talked about a few times on the pod. One of the, the staff members that Frank Lampard brought in and Thomas Tuchel retained. He, he's a sought-after guy, isn't he, Simon? He, he might not be at Chelsea for much longer. He, he combines his role with, with coaching Ireland as well, doesn't he, at the moment? That's right. He, he's... Um... His um, rise in in football circles um, has been phenomenal. Uh, when you think that um, he only quit playing in two thousand seventeen, um, took took the Wigan job, took a job at Wigan, and he's just Frank Lampard, one of his best signings. You know, during his during his time as manager, and of course he he was worried when, as I explained in the piece, he was worried when Tuchel came in, as you would be because. As we always discuss on this show, you know, when a new manager comes in, they want to bring their own men in, etc. But, but even within the short time that Tiago Silva, so I'm led to believe Tiago Silva was one of those that went to Tuchel and said, "You got to keep this guy around." Not that Tuchel needed much convincing. Um, he quickly sort of went, "Well, I like this guy's passion, his attention to detail. He can really that he's bonding with the squad." And I'm led to believe that Tuchel, on more than one occasion, has has basically had these chats with with Anthony about his future and sort of quite selfishly and understandably he's going, please don't go, you know, keep around. But I think it is only, a, it is the, the old cliche I use a lot. It's just a matter of um, when, not if, um, because there are too many clubs that, that know about him that, that want to give him a chance. But for Barry, it's, it's a big decision. I mean, you, you, you're learning off one of the best coaches in the game and as... As Chris Brass, one of the people I spoke to, told me, he said, you know, there's it, a very dangerous thing where you leave a club like Chelsea and what if the, the club you join, it doesn't work out and suddenly it doesn't take much for your reputation to take that. I mean, ask Frank Lampard, you know, it doesn't take long for that reputation to diminish. So wherever he does go next, it, it, he's going to give it some proper thought. It's not going to be fleet with town, put it that way. That's a, that's a hiding to nothing. It's something we talk about a lot on the Totally Football League show, isn't it, Sam? How your reputation can, can take a massive hit pretty quickly. So if you're Anthony Barry, are you wanting to stay at Chelsea, organise the set pieces and get yourself a Champions League winner's medal and the respect of Thiago Silva? Or are you going to want to go into, I don't know, Plymouth, lose your first six games and never be heard of again? Well, yeah, that's why I had, uh, Simon's last point... Um... You know, is is the one really that it has to be the right opportunity, doesn't it? Um, and but I think all these guys that are that are hungry, that have worked their way up, that have been in the background, uh, they'll be hungry for their, their opportunity to be the number one. I think that's only natural. So there'll come a time, I'm sure, when they want to move on, but it'll have to be the right fit, and it'll have to be a club that has not the facilities that Chelsea have, but the the infrastructure and the background to do things properly, the way that he's been coaching, I suppose, um, over the last few years. So, yeah, it'd have to be a club that matches his ambition, if that makes sense. But very, I mean, Ipswich fans probably uh, won't thank me for saying this, but considering he was Paul Cook's right-hand man, wasn't he, with Liam Richardson for a number of years, maybe this is why Paul Cook has, um, you know, suffered the fate of what you were just talking about, Matt, going into a club with a really good reputation and now you know he's probably going to struggle to he'll struggle to get one of the, a job in the in the championship right now i would say 
going to be interesting. Do check out that piece. It's uh, got lots of information about Anthony Barry, the person, as well as the coach. It's one of those things that The Athletic does so well. Right, we're going to be back on Friday when we'll reflect on the Everton game, look ahead to Wolves and plenty more besides. Until then, many thanks to Sam, to Simon, to Lucy and to you for listening. We'll catch up with you again later in the week. From all of us here, though, it's bye for now. The Athletic.